Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Emily Kaplan. Emily, what's going on? Not much. Good buddy and coworker. Can we say that now? That's true. Oh, what do you mean? Can we say that now? I mean, it's, <laughs> that's been true for the past like almost year now. I think uh, I started off with ESPN back in this last December. So, yeah, we're coming up on the uh, anniversary here soon. What are your thoughts on the word coworker? I don't know if there's a Canadian connotation there. I used it the other day, and someone was really offended by it. Mm. They thought it sounded like rude or un- a little sterile. Would you prefer not a colleague? Yeah, Peer? maybe. Yeah. I mean, you said buddy. So I think yeah. buddy and coworker is, is good if we loop them together. Yeah. Well, I mean, buddy can kind of have like a, a negative connotation too. You know, it can kind of be a little uh, low-key hostile if you're using it. I guess it, it comes with like a certain tone, right? Like it's uh, Yeah, like a buddy. Yeah, yeah. A, little, a little condescending. I could see it. Yeah, I'm not your buddy, pal. Um, yes, that's it. That's it. Um, all right. So this is this is uh, exciting. Today we're going to uh, keep up with the theme of the week here on the PDOcast. I had Mike Johnson on in the most recent episode, and we sort of bounced around and talked about uh, teams that have either exceeded or underwhelmed their early season expectations so far and, and kind of what stood out for us. And, and we're going to keep that going today. And, and I'll open the floor to you, and you can pick whichever team you want to start off with. Um, and we'll just go from there. Is there is there any teams um, that you've been kind of keeping an eye on, or have really had your eyebrow raised because of their per- performance, either either good or bad? Hmm. Um, and you know, this is probably a bad one to start with because I think they are matching expectations. But mm-hmm. the Bruins look really good. I would love to talk about the Bruins. Yeah, I had them number one on my list actually too. So uh, it's Excellent. like we're uh, yeah we're uh, that, we've got like we've got that big coworker energy going on right now. Yes, yes, BCE. Uh, yeah, um, the Bruins. You're right. I mean, they technically don't fit into this because I think everyone went into the season being like, yeah, they're going to be pretty good. I mean, they were within a home win of winning the Stanley Cup last year, and and they had similar expectations heading into the season. But I think what stuck out to me is I I don't know if you feel this way, but I just have so much respect for like how surgically they execute their game plan. Like they have this proven <laughs> formula and they just stick to it 
and it's the same as last year. It's the same as it's been in the past. And until further notice, I just expect they're going to keep doing, kind of turning it over and doing the same thing. Obviously, the same names are still there, but I feel like with the kind of system and structure they have right now, aside from like Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, you could kind of fit in all the other pieces around them. And I feel like they're just going to, this like well-oiled machine that's just going to keep churning out victories and churning out dominant performances like they did the other night against San Jose. Yeah, totally. The big thing for me, firstly, I think Pasternak, I would be probably at least top three for me in the early votes for Hart. He's Mm -hmm. having a terrific beginning of the year. Uh, For me, the big question is that top line and as it pertains to depth scoring, because we've seen them have issues before where the top line, when it's clicking, is so freaking dominant. And that's what it's been right now. Um, And then behind that, they're getting a hard time with secondary scoring. And it was really difficult for them, I think, early on when they had David Krejci out. And then you have Krejci come back in that San Jose game, and then all of a sudden, like, whoa, you get valid scoring again. You have all four lines uh, contributing to the score sheet. So I'm curious, and, and Bruce Cassidy talked to me and Greg about this on our podcast, uh, ESPN on Ice. Um, he said that once Krejci was out, he didn't feel comfortable breaking up that top line just because of the chemistry they have. But when you get Krejci back, um, he can move around a couple things, maybe play Pasternak with him. So I'm curious over the next you know, couple games, even couple weeks, what they do with that top line. And we saw that last postseason where I felt like Pasternak was moving around a little bit as they tried to get him going. And, and I think he was hampered by that thumb injury he had and he wasn't the same. And we've kind of seen what mm-hmm. Pasternak firing on all cylinders is so far this season. But you're right. I mean, we we did see last year with Charlie Coyle as the trade on acquisition with Marcus Johansson, just how important getting that kind of reliable secondary scoring was for this team, because you know what you're going to get from that top line. And once you add reliable goals here and there from secondary sources all of a sudden they become that much more difficult to to face but i mean like when i say that formula you know you just look at like the goaltending for example um last year a big story for me was how they managed to Rask's workload and how fresh he looked come the postseason and they did so by starting him only 45 times in the regular season and so far here through 12 games we've got seven starts for rask we've got five starts for halak and it looks like they're going to do a similar thing there again and the defense in front of them, I mean, must make life so easy for them just from like what they limit in terms of the passing lanes and scoring chances. And they're once again top two in pretty much every single goal and shot suppression category. So, I mean, it's one thing like the Pasternak's offensive totals and how good their power play is. That's one thing. But also just what they do on their own, their own advice. That's kind of like their bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say on them, and maybe we'll move on for everyone who thinks that everyone has a Boston bias to begin with, and this is too much time on them, but uh, the goaltending split. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, I, I totally agree with you in last year's playoffs. Tuka Rask mentioned it a couple times, like, I feel fresh and this is why I'm playing so well. And Cassidy told us that their team ran some data and they found that Tuka Rask, is better when his workload is smaller and mm-hmm. it's a lot closer to 50 games than it is 65 games and because they have such a good backup in Yaroslav Halak and they did before that in Kadobin, they feel comfortable doing that so I think it's a trend we're about to see across the league I really do you know you, you see a team like Chicago going out and getting Robin Lanner um, because they knew that Corey Crawford probably needed a better backup than Cam Ward was last year right. uh, but this is something that I, I feel like we're going to see more and more and Tuka's honestly putting up Vezina numbers right now and I just don't know if we'd win the award with the workload he's going to get yeah but i you're, i think the counterpoint is if everyone around the league starts embracing it uh and every goalie is just starting around 45 50 times then maybe it might become a bit of a moot point but um as as the this dog is- in the background agrees with a little whimpering i was about to say this is probably a good time to introduce my uh secondary your secondary guest little did you know red 
the dog I'm dog sitting is uh, here to contribute as well. Well, welcome to the show, Red. Um, I'd ask you how you're doing, but I, I don't think we're going to get a satisfactory He's answer. He's pretty ball focused right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, with Rask, though, 951 save percentage so far, almost plus six goals saved in, in just those seven starts. I mean, really building off that uh, remarkable playoff performance. So I think that's going to continue. And one final thing for me on the Bruins before we do move on from them, their power play. Uh, yeah. You know, clearly it was like their main driving force last year offensively during that run to the cup final. And we talked a lot about it, especially in that Kane series where it just really took over. They're once again, first in efficiency in both goals and conversion percentage. But for me, what I, what I noticed with them and it's kind of carrying over from that postseason run is, uh, and I implore people to watch this when they're watching these Bruins games is how they get it done. Because I, th- I believe last I checked like 10 of their 13 power play goals or so, so far, or maybe even 11 have come within 10 seconds of establishing possession, either off of a faceoff win in the offensive zone or entering it off the rush on a zone entry. That's wild. And so just like they are, and it kind of runs, it's in a, in a sense, it's intuitive because it's like, you know, you want to try to score quickly, but also we see teams sometimes like pass it around on the perimeter and try to soak up that full two minutes and, and sort of give them, give their team a little bit of a break and in, in terms of defending and not necessarily pushing the pedal to the metal and trying to score. But for them, like they don't want to let the de- opposing penalty kill sort of settle and create that shell in front of them. So they just, as soon as they get in, they're quickly firing it around, trying to get it ultimately to Pasternak on that one-timer and it works and we talk all the time about how it's a copycat league and how teams are sort of taking what's successful from others and I think that's something that the smart teams should be paying attention to because even if you don't have you know Pasternak, Marshine, Krug and Bergeron you can make it work by just attacking quickly and sort of not letting opposing defenses rest and settle so I think that's something that really interesting that I've noticed but beyond that I mean the Bruins are what they are it's kind of a given we all know what to expect from them so they're not that particularly interesting um you know a team that has surprised me a little bit this year is the New York Islanders dude I was literally gonna bring them up next yeah well and and I guess maybe it's not surprising from the perspective of they were good last year. They swept the Penguins. Um, they kind of brought back the same formula this year. Now, I guess you could have viewed that as a positive or negative because I think a lot of us identified them as a regression candidate, and we were hoping that they'd add more of a scoring punch and kind of diversify their portfolio there. But um, they just rolled it back, and they basically look like that same team again. And they are similarly a well old machine in terms of they do – a certain number of things very well and ultimately that's enough for them to win a lot of hockey games yeah i was obviously interested in this team of what the goaltending would look like because mm-hmm. last year that was the huge storyline right like you get um troughs coming in with his system you get um who's that goalie coach why can't i think of his name right now mitch corn mitch corn thank you they get mitch corn in there and then like all of a sudden you've got a vesna candidate robin laner they obviously they didn't think that laner was going to keep it up and they felt like their system they're so confident and they could bring anyone else in Thomas Grice has looked pretty good, you mm-hmm. know, in his six starts. And Barlamov, I think, has looked okay. Um, pretty good. Uh, probably about as expected. I think still Lehner is a better goalie, but uh, that was the financial decision that they decided to make. Another thing that really interests me about this team, though, is the fact that they're trying to bring these kids up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Noah Dobson is on the roster. He only got three games in. I think one of them was that game that they played seven defensemen. And if you listen to Lou Lamorello talk, like, they'd love to play him in the A right now, but can't because of his status. You know, he's a junior hockey candidate. Yep. Um, 
it doesn't sound like they're going to bring him down there. So I really feel like they need to get him into games. Uh, and then Wallstrom's another guy they have up. He's got five games. He's been scoreless since. So if they've been able to do this so far without contributions from those young guys, I wonder as, as the season goes on and they incorporate them and they get some confidence, how much better they could be. Yeah, I've actually been pretty encouraged by Wallstrom. You mentioned that he hasn't scored yet, but mm-hmm. from what I've seen, like he's flashed that incredible shot of his. And he's, he's, I bet he's going to be one of those guys where – once he's in the offensive zone, it takes like one split second of the defense resting up and he all of a sudden puts him back of the net. And so that'll be huge, a huge development for this team. Clearly, if they can get another sort of easy source of offense through his shot, if that does develop as the year gets going. But the other thing that I've noticed that I've been really impressed by and that I think elevates this team's ceiling is it really does feel like Trotz is finally either fully trusted or is like taking the training wheels off Matt Barzal. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, last year he played 1358 at five on five this year it's up to 17 17 per game and only Connor mcdavid's playing more than him at five on five amongst forwards and so um like it it, on one hand like maybe we shouldn't be giving him too much credit it's like oh you're playing your best player a lot of minutes like congratulations but it is a big step i think for both barzell and charats and in their partnership in terms of that trust and in terms of clearly uh you know, he's doing enough defensively out there for Trotz to trust him to send him out there. And so he can create offense for them as well. And he's been terrific. I think there's no surprise that or no coincidence that during this seven game winning streak of theirs, Barzal has five goals and eight points. And he, for a team, you know, Brock Nelson, uh, hashtag Brocktober has been <laughs> awesome once again. And and they have certain guys that, that do certain things well, but I think Barzal is one of their few players that can sort of single-handedly take a game over offensively and, and create for for others as well as himself and so the more they play him the better i feel about this team creating enough offense to support that defensive structure and that goaltending that we can know we can rely upon from a barry trots team totally and the last thing i'll say on them is just that reliability of the defense i think it's interesting you know as you've seen them start the year and and, and to where they're at now it's only a month in but we've been really consistent with the deep pairings that Barry Trotz has put out. He loves having a left-hand side guy, a right-hand side guy. He really hasn't mixed them up much, and they've been solid. And I really feel like at the end of the playoffs, or their playoff run last year, especially as they beat Pittsburgh and really shut down Sidney Crosby and their top scorers, Adam Pellick and Ryan uh, Pulak are an underrated top pairing, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're only going to get better because they're so young. Yeah, they actually do have... Uh, and you mentioned you know Dobson earlier and how they haven't been able to get them into games. They're one of the few teams that has like a surplus of competent defensemen. It feels like there's a shortage of them mm-hmm. in the league, but they have so many. And, and it's it's you don't have kind of the household uh, names or or the star or brand name players, but they just have a lot of guys who are good and reliable. And so it goes a long way for this team. Um, okay, so let, we've done the Bruins, we've done the Islanders. Who else do you have on your list? Should we talk about the Panthers? Yeah, let's do it. I have them on my list. All right. So obviously the big story when you just look at the Panthers start is Bobrovsky, right? They spend a ton of money on him and his numbers just are terrible. He's pretty much sucked all through October. Mm -hmm. I wrote down his numbers because I was just, it's under 900 safe percentage. I know that. Uh, But the interesting thing to me is what is going on with this offense and how they're going to look under Joel Quenville. And, you know, they've been really dependent over the years on kind of the sneaky depth of the top six. And they've been without Trocek for a bit, which is, you know, kind of shuffles them around. But they really need guys like Hoffman, in my opinion, to be a little more consistent. And and he's someone who I've seen in his short career already in Florida just kind of be a streaky guy. He started the season off strong and now is not so much. So I'd love to hear your take on that. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do the Bobrovsky thing and the defensive thing okay. first, because I think that's obviously what sticks out with his team. I mean, the other night they just got absolutely blitzed by the Canucks, and and we can talk more about the Canucks later. But um, yeah, the offensive juggernaut Canucks. Yeah, exactly. And and so, uh, you know, year one of a ten million dollar per year deal, seventy million total for Bobrovsky. He has an eight seventy save percentage and minus eight point six goal save, which is only uh, ahead of Jonathan Quick this season, and so. That's bad. Now, what I will say is I don't think Sergei Bobrovsky suddenly forgot how to stop pucks overnight and just completely <laughs> fell off. And, you know, we saw this a bit last year as well, where he had an 882 save percentage in seven October games, and then he comes back in November, 932. And he was up and down throughout the season, but we, we know that when he gets going, he's one of the best goalies in the league still. And all concerns about uh, the contract aside and how he's going to age and what it's going to look like in years four, five, six down the road... I still believe in him this season, and I think he'll eventually turn this around. The defense in front of him, you know, last year, uh, it was easy to point blame at Reimer and Luongo and say they weren't good enough. And, you know, they certainly weren't winning them a lot of games, but the defense in front of them was so bad as they were just kind of going for broke offensively that I thought there's only so much they could do. They've been a bit better under Quenville. The numbers still aren't great, but Bobrovsky playing like Sergey Bobrovsky is going to go a long way towards fixing all of that. Offensively, um, that's one area where I really don't have very many concerns about this team. Like, you know, uh, Sasha Barkov, I believe, still hasn't scored yet, but he just has a ton of assists, and he'll eventually get going. That power play is so good. The top six is going to get its share of goals. So when I come back, when I think about this team, all I think about is, like, they just need to stop being, like, the 30th-ranked team in terms of goals against and save percentage, <laughs> and they'll be fine. Now, in that Atlantic, maybe there's a bit of an opening with Tampa Bay and Toronto starting off so slowly, but Buffalo has been kind of the team that's capitalized upon that. So maybe this first 10-game stretch is a bit of a lost opportunity for the Panthers to bank more points, but I'm still relatively optimistic on them moving forward just because there is so much talent there, and it feels like they've underperformed relative to what those guys could do at the top of the roster. Yeah, they've already withstood, what, like two or three Barkov injury scares. We felt like we were going to miss him for some time. So as long as he's out there, they're good. But you're right. There's other guys that are contributing. I mean, Dadunov is not a guy. We probably don't talk enough about him. I'm pretty sure he's leading them in goals right now. And I, I think they also made some decent um, adds to their bottom six. Mm-hmm. You know, Brett Connolly is, is probably a guy uh, that gives them that veteran leadership a bit. Um, and Nolachari, I mean, last year in the playoffs, he was so good defensively for the Bruins, especially on the penalty kill. So I don't know if enough has been said about him. Yeah, you know, with Connolly and Frank Vitrano, like they have, they have a lot of scoring. It's just going to be a, if they can defend enough, especially against some of these best teams in the league, to uh, to hang in there. But I, I still like the chances moving forward. Now, here's a team that I have on my list: the Columbus Blue Jackets. Whoa. And. They are a fascinating team for me, and I don't know how many people have ever said that about the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, that don't live in Ohio, but I was on the corner this summer and this preseason that they were going to be better than people thought. And so far, you know, the results have been mixed. They've been up and down. I think the most recent showing against Philly where they blew a lead and uh, kind of did did what Philly usually does against Philly, uh, which was interesting to see where they just completely imploded. Um, but I still think this team has a lot of stuff going for it. Now they don't have the sort of top of the marquee names and they're going to struggle to score offensively. They're 21st in goals this year. They're 25th in shooting percentage. And really, if it weren't for a high volume of, of shot generation, they'd be even worse. Um, 
But that's what I do like about this team where they don't have that high-end talent, but they have a lot of depth. They come at you in waves. They have an identity where, and I'm sure John Tortorella kind of relishes this probably. Like I'm sure he'd love to be coaching Artemi Panarin and Matthew Shea now, but in a way it's kind of this like underdog mentality of just being annoying and difficult to play against, playing teams tight. Um, and so I, I've actually enjoyed watching them a little bit this season, despite the fact that they don't have those guys that pop off the page. For sure. Uh, one of the biggest concerns for me heading into the season when it came to the Blue Jackets was goaltending. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had two total unknown. Elvis was an unknown and Jonas Corbisalo like really hadn't shown us much over the past few years to give us confidence. But I think he's been just about um, right above expectations. And I think he's done probably as well as he could have. Obviously, he had that meltdown in that game that you were talking about and he swung his stick. I had to apologize <laughs> to his team for it. Um, but I, I think it's OK. And, you know, I think when you're talking about that offense, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a guy also, again, without Pierre uh, Panarin, rather, we were concerned, okay, how is he going to perform? He's looked okay. Uh, he's leading them with goals right now, which I think is a positive development. Um, but the one thing with this team, and I just don't know why they can't figure it out, this has been a like, multiple season-long problem, is their power play. Yep. It just sucks. And when you're talking about the Bruins' power play earlier, like the way they move it with purpose to find a good shot, like it feels like when I watch Columbus's power play, like they're just moving it because they're panicking and nobody actually wants to take the shot. And it just, they're giving up a lot of goals. Um, I mean, they're not scoring a lot of goals. They're actually giving up some shorthanded goals. And I know that Tortorella has been steadfast defending his assistant who's in charge of it, but I feel like something's got to change. I know they tried Martin San Louis at the end of last year. He's gone back to coaching his kids now, but mm. they've got to figure something out. Yeah, I mean, and it, they were bad last year with Artemi Panarin, and you think with a playmaker of his skill set, he'd be able to move the puck around and create some of that offense for them, and he wasn't, and, and unsurprisingly, they've struggled even more without him. Um, yeah, it seems like their game plan is like, all right, let's just not get scored on for two minutes here. <laughs> and uh, it's, I think, having a purpose is uh, is a great way to put it. You know, you mentioned Dubois. Um, he leads the team with seven points. Now, that's not impressive considering seven points in 12 games isn't some sort of a earth shattering pace, but it kind of highlights what I like about this team where they have nine guys between five and seven points. Um, and you know, when I say they play teams tight, uh, four of their 11 games so far, have already gone overtime. Eight of their 11 games have been one goal games. And I think that's something that's going to continue. It could be a bit frustrating for Tortorella and for fans of this team um, in terms of there's going to be stretches where they do struggle to score. There's going to be ups and downs, but I think they're going to be a team that's just going to hang around a lot of games. They're going to be a good five on five team. They have a strong defense. Um, they don't really have any uh, noticeable kind of dead spots in their lineup. And so I think for opposing teams, when they see see the Columbus Blue Jackets on this on the calendar um, maybe their fans are going to kind of make fun of that make fun of them and poke jokes and be like oh this is going to be an easy two points but I guarantee you that opposing teams when they see the Blue Jackets on the schedule are not relishing that opportunity because they seem like they're just a nightmare to play against totally sponsoring today's episode of the hockey pedio cast is seat geek if you feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose you're not alone I've found in the past that it's a really stressful process and honestly it can sometimes be a barrier to actually uh, getting yourself out of the house and going to the event because just because you don't want to deal with all of it, whether it's, uh, you know, going on a bunch of different websites and trying to find the best deal or wondering whether you're getting ripped off or whether you're going to get a ticket and pay a bunch of money for it and then show up at the event and find out it's not even what you paid for. Uh, there's a lot of stressors there and, and I totally get uh, why people would be kind of put off by the whole process, but that doesn't need to be the case anymore because SeatGeek has really changed the game and revolutionized uh, the whole process by making it as easy for you as possible and saving you time 
time, money, and effort. Um, they built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and just start enjoying it. Uh, here's what they do. They scour the web for you. They pull all the tickets that are available for any given event into one place. They rate each of those tickets that are available uh, as a deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and then they finally display them on an interactive seat map so you can see for yourself, for all those visual learners out there, uh, what the details are. So the green dots mean a good deal, and those are the ones you should be targeting, and the red dots are overpriced ones you should stay away from. And every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence, knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. I've used it time and time again for all sorts of stuff. I mean, beyond just hockey, and I imagine a lot of you listening, that'll probably be your main interest and, and your main resource, but uh, whether it's a basketball game, whether it's a football game, I've got a concerts, uh, you know, stand-up specials. There's so much uh, stuff out there that you, could, you should be enjoying and SeatGeek's got the tickets for all of it. So even if you don't necessarily have a specific event in mind, um, you know, sometimes I just pull it up and see what's going on on any given night and kind of, uh, you know, spur the moment, go for it because SeatGeek makes it that easy to get those tickets. Plus, um, if that's not enough, for whatever reason, and I can't imagine it will be, but let's say you're one of the late adopters here and you're still struggling and you're like, okay, why should I give SeatGeek a shot above any other uh, ticketing service? Well, SeatGeek's going to give you $10 off your first purchase with them just for listening to today's episode of the PDOcast. All you need to do is use our promo code and let them know we sent you. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Do you know who's, it's a really terrible transition, but actually a nightmare to play against these days? I like it. Like, who is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Washington Capitals Ooh, and Alex Ovechkin. Nice. Uh, I just did my power rankings uh, this week for ESPN. I voted, and I have them as number one, especially after last night, the way they ended that road trip. Um, you know, some of their early concerns about Braden Holpe, he's been good lately. He's 4-0-1 in his last five games. Obviously, all we can talk about is John Carlson, who can't stop scoring, but um, I saw that stat that you tweeted out about Ovechkin today. If you want to share that, that was incredible to me. Yeah, um, his his production this season? Yes. Yeah, so he's got 11 goals, which is tied for second with Austin Matthews, just behind David Pasternak's 12. He's got 70 shots on goal, uh, which leads the league. He's got 139 shot attempts, and second place is Roman Yossi with 95, uh, which is just crazy to me. He's playing 20. That was crazy to me. I'm just going to interrupt. Yeah. You know, I and everyone in Toronto media wrote about John Carlson this week because they were in Toronto. Um, and but uh, one of the things that was interesting to me is, like, hey, how is he getting all these um, shots, right? Or how is he getting all these points? Is he taking more shots on goal? And he's actually not. He's on pace for not a, goal, another, not a lot of goal, uh, shots. Wow, I can really speak English sometimes. Mm. Uh, but, you know, when I looked at their uh, shot attempts, Ovi is by far shooting more than anyone on that team. It's incredible. He is. And I guess that's not surprising considering his career track record, but just the fact that he's 34 years old now uh, I yeah. think this week he's going to play his 1100th regular season game and he just has no he's showing no real signs of slowing down like in a in a way he is a little bit because it feels like he's fumbling the puck a bit more than he has in the past he kind of looks human on occasion but he does with the things he does well he does so well and the capitals do such a good job of putting him in a position to succeed as well like uh, the team's averaging around seven power play minutes a game this season and Ovechkin's playing over five of those. And so they're getting him out in those opportunities where 
he can use a shot. He's going to be in high danger scoring areas and he's going to score a ton of goals. I would still bet on him to win the Rocket Richard this year, despite the fact that Pasternak's on this tear, despite, you know, what Leon Dreisaitl is doing, Austin Matthews, like Ovechkin's shot generation and his consistency there. And the fact that he's not going to miss any games unless he gets rested here or there. Um, and how vital he is to his team's offense. Like, I just think that makes him such a strong bet for that award yet again. And, and the fact that we're just talking about that and we take it for granted a bit, right? Like what him and Crosby are doing at this point in his career, uh, we can kind of become numb to a little bit, but we really should appreciate what he's doing because he, he won't do it forever. We totally should. And, you know, as I said, I did write about Carlson this week and I talked to him and he said something interesting too about, um, you know, one of the reasons he thinks his team is different this year and one of the things that Todd Reardon has kind of implemented. And that is they talk about it all the time in team meetings, just not taking shots just to take shots, taking really quality shots. And they feel like sometimes they were just throwing it on net and making easy saves for the goaltender and giving him confidence. And it feels like the only guy really immune to that strategy is Ovechkin, um, which kind of feels poetic because for so long he's just kind of been doing his own thing. But man, I was watching their game last night. I just Maybe you can explain this better than me because I know you, you study tactical hockey better than me, but how can so many times he be open in his office on the left circle? Like, why doesn't someone just put someone there? It's tough. I, I think, like, the Rangers did this in the past with Dan Girardi, and, and teams have tried to do it. The issue is, especially on the power play, when you've got a, a, a man advantage there, four versus five, they have so many ways to beat you that if you do lean that way, then you're just leaving TJ Oshie wide open from an even better scoring area right in front of the goalie. Uh, you know, you, you got Kuznetsov, Backstrom's going to find those open guys. And, and Carlson, to his credit, people can kind of take for granted his production and be like, oh, anyone running the point and quarterbacking that power play would put up these numbers. But he does such a good job of having a threat as a shooter, but kind of doing what you were just saying there in terms of not just throwing the puck on net for the sake of throwing it on net, but actually kind of holding on to it, sucking in the defense, and then passing it off to you either Backstrom or, or, or Ovechkin to uh, do something themselves. And so they just really have this beautiful uh, connection there between five guys who kind of know where each of them is going to be, know what they're great at, and do an excellent job of getting the puck to them right where they want it. And so it's really fun to watch. And it's no surprise that year over year they have one of the, whatever, the three to five best power plays. Yeah, you know, um, we pay so much attention to Ovechkin, but watching their game last night, I really thought their best line was the Kuzi, Tom Wilson, and Brana line. And mm -hmm. they're playing, you know, a lot of even strength time against even Austin Matthews line. And they looked really good. And, you know, last year was a bit of an off year for Kuznetsov. And I feel like he's the guy that's kind of the sleeper here. If he can revert back to the form that he had two years ago, um, this team's going to be extra dangerous. Yeah, well, you know, we mentioned how big of a, a driving force Ovechkin is for them offensively, and that's true. But I do really like this team's depth, and I think it makes them much more dangerous to deal with as the season gets going here. Because, you know, even with like Eller and Haglin on the third line, for example, they're going to get Richard Panic back. Uh, you know, Brendan Leipzig on the fourth line has has given a little bit a little bit of a juice as well, and so they have guys down the lineup who can play. And and there's very few weak spots. And the blue line, I think, is. Uh, is really well constructed now in terms of having at least one sort of play driver on each of those pairings. And so if Braden Holtby can be, you know, 90% of what peak Braden Holtby is, this is going to be a really, really good team that has very few flaws. And so I'm really curious to see how the season gets going as the season gets going here. Um, 
sort of how it goes for them in terms of managing Holtby's workload, in terms of keeping all their top guys fresh, because it's pretty clear that, you know, you don't want to take the regular season for granted. And especially in a wonky Metro division where there's so many good teams, but no real great teams, you don't want to just kind of, it's not a foregone conclusion that you're going to make the playoffs. But for this team, it's pretty clear that they're thinking about what they're going to look like in late April, early May, as opposed to what they're looking like here in the end of October. Yeah. I'm curious how many games they're going to give to Samsonov because obviously they made that decision early in the season. It was slightly financial, even though they didn't save a ton of money, but they were really, you know, counting the cap at that point. But, um, you know, putting Phoenix Copley in waivers and, and giving this kid a chance, and especially as Braden Holpe's contract situation boils up and we're unsure if they're willing or able to commit to him on a long-term basis, like maybe they're going to want to see the kid in a couple more games than, uh, you know, just the average backup would get. Yeah, no, the, I mean, I think they will, especially as we mentioned with uh, with teams shying away from giving their goalies, uh, their starting goalies, the usual 60, 65, 70 games of, of run in the regular season. Uh, the Carlson thing's interesting because, uh, you know, he's been clearly great. I mean, 23 points in October for a defenseman is just absolutely obscene. And, and he he's really continues to somehow um, improve at this stage of his career, which after they gave him that contract, I, w- I certainly wasn't expecting and I thought it was a mistake and he's clearly proven me wrong. But it has been funny to see like now as the capitals went to toronto and uh with all the media there it's like it seems like everyone just wrote there like holy crap john carlson's really good and should win the norris this year article so that was pretty fun to see it's it's it seems like this is this really is his year in terms of sort of both the play being there but also the uh the storyline or angle for people to push in terms of well he's never won it before so let's give him one well, I just take a little bit of pride, and that was all Tuesday. But here in America, we wrote that story on Monday. <laughs> yeah, you guys are one day ahead. Yeah, exactly. Um, Especially when it comes to our Americans, we really take pride in when they do well. It's true. Well, he is a he is an American hero. Um, okay, is there a, what other teams do we have here? I've got I've got a couple. Do you want to rattle off some some of my? Yeah, list? how about the Avalanche? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I, I have them on here. Um, I guess. You know, it's weird to say that uh, there's a silver lining uh, to losing Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog because they're two great players, and I just love watching the two of them alongside Nathan McKinnon just do their thing with a puck. But A, I think this is, uh, you know, McKinnon's chance to really shine in terms of proving his individual greatness and and not having uh, those MVP votes kind of cannibalized from him because it's like, oh, well, how good is he individually if... Miko Rantanen is also a 90-point player. It feels like mm-hmm. if he can drive his own line now, uh, there's going to be a lot of momentum towards potentially even discussing him as the best player in the game. And the other thing is, you know, they've had good secondary, secondary scoring so far. Um, all of the additions they made this summer with Burakovsky, Kadri, and Donskoy have panned out. Uh, you know, Tyson Jost has a hat-trick in Tampa Bay, and, and if him and JT Comfort can get going here, that'd be a huge development for them as well. But I assume some of those guys are going to get bumped up now to playing with McKinnon, and, and even if they haven't gotten going so far, um, I'm sure playing with him will do wonders for kickstarting that offensively. And so it gives the Avalanche a chance here, assuming they can kind of hold the fort and keep their heads above water until those two other guys come back. Um, it gives them an opportunity to really figure out what they have internally and uh, whether they can rely on some of these guys to do more than they've already shown so far. Yeah, it's. I was thinking the exact same thing, especially as this team we're starting to talk about in the context of Stanley Cup aspirations. Like, this is the long game for them. And, you know, 
yes, it's amazing when that top line is clicking and it sucks to see Landis Gog. Seems like his injury, from what I've read, might be a little bit more serious than Rantanen's. Um, Which is crazy because Rantanen's looked like the grossest injury I've seen oh, in a long time. I know. Time. And it was non-contact, which sucks. Yeah. And ugh. Anywho, um, yeah, it's all about these depth guys for me. Like, it, it looked like a guy like Burkowski, who's not getting a ton of ice time. He's getting about 14 minutes a game, but still has nine points in 11 games. Like, we saw when he was in Washington, it was really always a confidence thing for him and who he was playing with and how much faith the coach gave in him. So he's a guy that I really, you know, keep my eye on. And you mentioned the new additions, one that probably never gets enough uh, credit and wow, Red really wants his ball uh, is Pierre Edward Belmare. Uh, he just is so good defensively and I think probably a really good leadership guy in the locker room. Um, and he's put up three goals and three assists already. So I, I think he's another great signing by Sackick. He is. And this team, uh, and the reason why I've given Joe Sackick so much credit for assembling this team is they have maintained a lot of fin- uh, financial flexibility here, but also with their assets in terms of all the draft picks they've accumulated, uh, how well they've done drafting. And so they have a bunch of capital here to, if um, they need to add someone, they can. And if the season gets going here and these guys start coming back and they keep winning games and they really are firmly in that Stanley Cup contender discussion, like they have a lot of avenues for also improving their team as the year gets going beyond just some of these young guys internally improving. And so that's a great position to be in because you can see many different paths for the Avalanche uh, being even better than they have been at full strength early season. And that's scary for opposing teams because they have been really good so far regardless. They totally, totally have. Um, Should we move on to another Central Division team that having injury issues? Well, you know, here's one question before we move on to the Avalanche. Um, Kale McCarr. I know we did the whole thing without mentioning him. Yeah, so he came into the year clearly based off of his postseason performance. Uh, expectations were through the roof. I think he started off a bit slowly, but I have noticed the past couple of games he's really uh, gotten going here in terms of jumping in on the rush, doing crazy stuff with a puck that defensemen typically don't do, especially young defensemen. And so, um, where is he at right now in, in terms of the called early Calder discussion and in terms of the rookie race for the most impressive young players we've seen so far? I think he's definitely, if not this week, next week, going to catapult Victor Olsson for the Calder favorite. You know, he's going to be the guy that we're talking about for sustainable success. I think Olsson's cooled off a little bit. Um, But honestly, and this is something that I love talking about, and this is like my wheelhouse, but I've just been so impressed by how he's done off the ice, handling all this pressure. Like, you know, this is probably a little inside baseball, but at the player media tour, that's where uh, the teams are supposed to send their best player every year, right before the season, for like a car wash and meeting with all the big outlets. And they didn't send Landis Gog. He actually went over to Sweden. They didn't send McKinnon. They wanted to give him a break. They didn't send Rontanen. They send this 20-year-old kid, and, you know, they're pimping him out there with all these video content, and he's just leaning into all of it and embracing all of it. And I really feel like that kind of stuff that we're seeing off the ice is translating on the ice with just the way he's playing and his composure. Yeah. It's remarkable to see what he does, and especially uh, playing off of Sam Gerrard as well. Some of the stuff these guys do in terms of sort of probing and and, uh, winding up on the ice where you're typically not used to seeing defensemen is uh, is one of my favorite things to watch. So the Avalanche certainly aren't short short on exciting players, and I'll add those two guys to the list. Uh, Who was the other Central Division team with the injuries piling up? Yeah, well, I don't even know if it's piling up. It's just one big one, and that's the Blues mm-hmm. and Tarasenko. Yep. Uh, you know, it's he's out 
they say minimum five months on when he's going to be reevaluated for shoulder surgery. That sounds like pretty much the whole regular season, that minimum. And, um, you know, Doug Armstrong entered this year um, telling us all, like, look, we're going to win it. And that's when he went out and made that trade for Justin Falk. They weren't sitting back. He's like, this is our window. And we're going to try to contend again. And they're going to be really tested about Tarasenko. That's a guy that they count on to score big goals, a lot of goals. And I know that it's a deep team, and that's what got them to the Stanley Cup last year. Um, but that's not an insignificant piece to be missing for that period of time. No, certainly not. I wouldn't expect to see him uh, the rest of this regular season just based on that timeline. And it's weird because we went to the season expecting that the Central Division was going to be incredibly packed and uh, it'd be really, you know, potentially with no bad teams and, and certainly five playoff teams. And so far, the stars have really been sputtering, especially offensively. Um, the wild look really, really bad, in my opinion. And <laughs> we say this after their own goal yeah, it was, on Tuesday night. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was the Stars hadn't scored five goals in a single game all year, and then they give up five goals, and then they score five goals in the wild in the third period alone, and so that kind of <laughs> tells everything you need to know about both those teams. Uh, and the Blackhawks, uh, if we're talking about bad Tuesday performances, just look Whoa. absolutely dreadful against the Predators, and so you know, with the Avalanche having their own injuries with uh, the Predators, and we could talk, discuss Nashville more here in a bit, but they certainly haven't been fully healthy themselves either. Like The Central Division is much more sort of open and there for the taking than I thought it was, and we haven't mentioned Winnipeg, and they themselves look uh, really bad defensively, and so uh, there isn't a team there that's really kind of head and shoulders uh, above from the pack and really separating themselves, and so for the Blues, uh, it's tough not having Tarasenko's offense and not having them all year, but um, it's not the worst case scenario because they do have enough depth there and they're good enough defensively that they can probably cobble together, um, you know, in different areas enough to sort of make up for some of that loss that they're going to experience offensively from him. Yeah, the guy they're going to look to is Thomas, uh, Robert Thomas. Yep. Didn't have a ton on the score sheet during the Stanley Cup final, but like kept being one of the more impressive guys through that playoff run. And he's young, and they have such high hopes for him. So I'm curious to see what he'll do with a bigger role. Well, you know what I'll say, Robert Thomas, and, and it's a, kind of a really tough thing to quantify. Although I guess you would expect that over the long run it would manifest itself in like good possession numbers and and on the score sheet. But he is one of those guys early in his career where it just feels like he's always like involved in the play. Like whenever I look up and, and, yeah. and it's like, Oh, there's the puck and there's Robert Thomas. It's like, uh, I don't know if it's a good hockey IQ uh, awareness. I don't know what it is, but it just seems like he's always in the right place at the right time. And I think that bodes really well for his future success, even though the scoring, as you mentioned, hasn't been there yet. Yeah. So you mentioned the predators. I'd yeah. love to talk about them. Um, they look damn good. They, you know, Pecorene is 37. Is he 37? He's old. 34. Yep. Whatever he is, he's he's playing probably some of his best hockey. I saw an interview that he was drinking less post-game beers, and that's one of the uh, attributes he was giving <laughs> to his success. So good on him. Uh, maybe he's drinking Trulies or White Claws instead, less mm. carbs. Uh, but honestly, the most impressive thing for me is their offense. We talked so much about how they had sputtered on offense last year. We're just too dependent on the top guys. They've been without... Um, and Philip Forsberg for a couple games, and they're still leading the league uh, with four goals a game. They're tied right up there with the Avalanche, and that to me is great. And I know so much 
attention is going to be paid on Matt Duchesne and, you know, that number two center that they've always wanted to have and now finally do have. And I do think he's having a really good start to the season, but it also proved that they really might not have needed P.K. Subban after all. And, and you know, this balance that they've created now is now the correct balance, at least uh, for right now. Yeah, it has. It, it's worked out pretty much exactly as I, as I think that uh, David Poyle and the Predators were envisioning. It, they've really remade their team. Like, I thought that towards the end of last year, uh, they got into this funk where it felt like it was kind of like, it was just like dry and stale. And Mm -hmm. whether it's Duchesne, whether it's, uh, you know, empowering guys like Yossi and Ellis to to play more and to be more uh, integral parts of their offense, whether it's... um, you know, just just kind of that change. I, I think it really kickstarted this team and it's changed that dynamic. And they're playing so much faster. Uh, you know, shooting twelve percent as a team certainly helps, and I think that's going to come down a little bit. But considering that there are first in the league in scoring, as as you mentioned, even if that comes down a tad bit, there's still enough wiggle room there for them to be a high powered offense. And it's just a complete kind of one eighty and identity change from them. I, I, I thought I think it's a it's a really important development. And um, you know, with Yossi's extension uh that just came came down the other day, um, you know, eight years over nine million per season. What did you think about that deal? Um I think it looks great right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think the term and the no movement clause were interesting to me because uh, we've got a guy that's hovering around 30 years old right now. And that's a long term to give him. And, you know, he's announced on the same day that the Predators are in town and the Blackhawks are there and Brent Seabrook is getting scratched. And he's another guy with a contract that just didn't age well monetarily. So this to me just shows that David Poyle is thinking about right now. This is his window. He wants to win. And I also can't help but think that David Poyle is 69 years old and is like, well, maybe if I just win, then this is somebody else's problems after me. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I guess ultimately they kind of had to. They'd really back themselves in here. I mean, they trade away Subban this summer. Uh, they are in that kind of w- uh, window to compete right now as a franchise. And also, I mean, they had Yossi on like the team friendliest deal, I think, for a, a non-ELC guy where he was making $4 million per season over the past seven years after they kind of gambled correctly on him as a young player. And so he was due for a payday. And, you know, he's a captain. He's so fun to watch. He's such an integral part of that team that I, I think they had a very little leverage there. But you're right. I mean, he's going to be 30 by the time the contract kicks in. And for a guy who relies so primarily on his skating, um, that's that's a concern. You could argue that because he's such a fluid skater, he's not taking as much punishment and physically he's going to age better into his 30s. But I think it is a concern there. Now, ultimately, you're you know, from Poyle's perspective, you you cite his age there and and sort of where they're at as a franchise, and I don't think they ultimately care what that contract's going to look like five years from now if it reopens or sort of elongates this window for them to get back to where they were just a couple seasons ago. Yeah, the new movement clause is the one that struck me because that's something that David Poyle typically doesn't give out. So this almost felt like him just saying, "F it, uh, here we go, let's just go for it right now." Yeah, I give no, up. That, All the rules go to the trash. That is that is certainly fair. Is there any other teams on your list that you wanted to talk about? I mean, there's some of the bad ones, like uh, you know the Blackhawks, the Rangers, and they're interesting in their own ways. But I just thought like we went into the year expecting it to be bad, and they've proven us to be correct. So I'm just not sure what there is to unpack there from like a wow, this is groundbreaking information perspective. No, I, I think the Blackhawks and Rangers, though, are interesting when you group them together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been saying this for some time, 
But at least with the Rangers, you know, we see their deliberate plan, how they're acting towards the plan, how it's coming to fruition. And, you know, last night was a good example of that. Um, you know, they had that probably one of their best wins of the season against the Lightning, even though they're out without Mika Zibanejad. You've got the young guys stepping up at benchmark stall. You, you see everything coming into fruition. And then you've got a team like the Blackhawks, which put a bunch of Band-Aid fixes on this year. You know, they slightly improved the defense with Calvin DeHaan. Uh, they slightly improved their bottom six um, with a couple guys there. And you wonder, would the Blackhawks have been better off if they just pulled what the Rangers did and said, hey, we're just going to cut the cord, you know, tear it down for two to three seasons and then go all in on the rebuild and hopefully capitalize the end of the window for Taze and Kane. And for the comparison, the Taze and Kane would be the long quest for the Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easier said than done, obviously, I think with especially with like how good Kane and Taves were last year. I I think that uh, empowered them or emboldened them a bit to like be like, oh, well, if we improve some of the stuff around them, hopefully we can make it work. But I I think that's a bad bet from their part. I mean, they've looked uh, just as bad, I think, defensively as they were last year, despite all those upgrades. And, you know, if it weren't for Robin Leonard having a remarkable game, like he had at least, I'd say, 10, like, just beautiful uh, point-blank saves. If it weren't for him standing on his head like that, like that game could have been into the double digits for the Predators based on how they were dominating with over 50 shots and about 20 scoring chances. And so uh, I think there's going to be a lot of, lot more of those performances and maybe having Leonard there instead of uh, Cam Ward and Colin Delia like last year is going to keep them in some of those games. But it's just not uh, a formula that succeeds in, in today's game where it's like, oh, we're just going to give up this much and hope that our top players can outscore you. Like I, I only see them taking... I only see that process taking them so far. And, um, you know, they got a top pick last year, and we'll see how Kirby Doc turns out. And so maybe they can kind of keep playing entertaining, uh, high-scoring hockey while sort of low-key uh, going through that rebuild and accumulating top picks. I, I assume that's what they are uh, trying to accomplish, even if they're not publicly admitting it. But yeah, there's a lot of turmoil there with, with, the, with the Seabrook benching, with all this stuff going on. Like, it's it's a weird time in Chicago. I'm not sure what direction they're currently headed in. No, and you know, you mentioned Kane and Taze. I do think one other thing going in their favor is they have two guys in the generation slightly below that, and Alex DeBrinket, um, definitely, and Dylan Strom to a slightly lesser degree, um, that look like they can be really, really um, good offensive stars. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Alex DeBrinket was one of the quietest 40 goal scorers last year, and you're right, I, I think they do have enough weapons. You know, you really only need two or three guys spread across your lines to dominate offensively. But the defense, man, it's just really, really bad. And, you know, they have a surplus of guys, but a surplus of guys they don't want. Um, and you're right. I think Laner um, can steal them maybe one or two more games than they got last year. And, and that seemed to be a wise move. But other than that, they need a complete overhaul. Yeah, they do. I mean, it is interesting sort of pairing them as a parallel alongside uh the Rangers because the Rangers have clearly gone about it in a different, more aggressive way. Uh, They've been a fascinating team to watch this season because I think they've in a way been exactly what we expected where they got all these new shiny toys. People were excited about them. I think they're going to certainly have flashes and they're going to be more fun to watch offensively, but I'm not sure how much of it is the coaching with David Quinn, how much of it is just having a young team, how much of it is having all these new players, uh, 
but there's been certain moments where they look like catastrophically bad defensively and and in a way I do feel for Henrik Lundqvist I, I know no one's gonna uh cry themselves to sleep about a guy who's that handsome making that much money uh getting to like live in New York and 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 actively uh you know not allowing them to trade him because he wants to stay in New York and he wants to stay in that market but uh there's gonna be a lot of long long nights this season where he's still facing 40 45 shots and and at this stage of his career given his age and all the mileage like it's a pretty rough spot uh both for him and for the rangers to be expecting him to kind of hold up under that kind of pressure Totally. The, their defense is so leaky and yeah. they just give up way too many shots. Gorgiev has been good, though. And, you know, there's some nights where I wonder if, um, you know, I, I think they are working on load management with Henrik this year. But I'd love to see Gorgiev get a couple more starts. I thought he looked terrific last night. Uh, the thing, though, is, is the offense and the young guys. And, and I think for them, it's all about confidence. You know, Chidal is a guy that they tried bringing up last year. It didn't work. He sent back down this year. You watched him last night. He was like, uh, man possessed. He looked terrific. Like if he played like that all the time, he should be in the lineup. And, you know, Kako had his little bit of a stretch where he was being emo and, and thinking um, that hockey was not fun for him anymore. <laughs> I thought he had a great goal last night. So, you know, I, I really feel like this is the transition year. And as long as, you know, they don't totally lose confidence in David Quinn's plan and stick to it, um, you know, maybe one or two blue line additions away next year. And you've got a competent team. Well, they do have a lot of, especially on the blue line, a lot of young guys in the pipeline that they've drafted high and, they, and that there's pretty high expectations for now with young defensemen. You never know how they're going to develop, what that trajectory is going to look like at that timeline. So we'll see. But I, I still think yeah, it's and I'm guilty of this myself because, uh, you know, you, you want to see immediate results. But I think it's OK with especially this team and how they've been assembled and, and how good of a job they've done in short order of accumulating assets to like just view this year for what it is, which is another year in this rebuilding process where they're going to be more fun to watch. They're not going to win a lot of games, but if they get another high draft pick out of it and develop some of these young players along the way, then it's ultimately a success for them in New York. Totally. Are there any other teams that you wanted to get to? I think that's it on my list. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so too. I think we covered all the, all the big ones. We didn't do the Canucks, but I'm going to have i uh, I'm going to do a bit of a Canucks slash Pacific division deep dive next week so i intentionally didn't want to get into them here but yeah i think we covered all the main ones um plug some stuff what uh what are you working on these days where can people check out your work what's what's going on in the life of emily kaplan yeah i've got a fun story coming out next week i'm really proud of it's a anonymous players poll mm-hmm. uh, i polled about 50 guys on some pretty um interesting questions and there's some awesome illustrations so that will run next week on espn.com uh you can listen to me and greg wyshynski's podcast espn on ice and just check out all of our stuff on espn.com because we do a damn good job don't we dimitri we sure do I'm, i've been writing up there quite a bit <laughs> recently myself so uh, maybe i'm maybe we're a little bit biased but i do think uh we are doing a good job and 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 yes, for those of you wondering out there, ESPN does in fact cover hockey, uh, which is uh, exciting for the for the for the both of us. Uh, I've really enjoyed your work this season and last season, obviously as well. But I, I think uh, you know you and Craig Custance are right up there as like the two people who seem to get the most out of some of these players. Like we, and I understand from their perspective why when they're not really incentivized to say anything particularly interesting, because if anything, it's just going to get them in trouble and it's going to rile up uh, old media types and opposing teams and players. And it's going to get sort of backlash and criticism thrown their way. But it seems like you just get all these amazing nuggets from some of these players and they just like open up to you and, and, and say interesting stuff, which is very rare for hockey players, especially during the season. 
No, thank you. Honestly, I'm just flattered that you put me in the same sentence as Craig. I went on this podcast this summer. Mm. That man makes people feel so comfortable. I totally see why they open up to him. Um, I was oversharing like crazy. But uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, maybe it's just being in the league a little bit longer or, or whatever. People are starting to know me, but I'm really loving what I'm doing at ESPN. I have a new Monday column, which I'm excited about. So every Monday, I um, just have like a kind of newsy thing of the week and a kind of feature thing and empty my notebook. And uh, I'm just having fun doing it. Well, Emily, thanks for taking the time to come chat. Uh, Red, thank you for uh, cooperating and only having a couple outbursts. I really appreciate all that. And uh, yeah, this was a blast. Let's definitely do it again as the season gets going. And uh, we'll chat soon. I appreciate it. Yeah, much an upgrade from the smoothie machine in my first episode. But (laughs) uh, at least we're getting objectively cuter. Yes. Have a good one, Emily. (laughs) Thanks, Dimitri. at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.